research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm joined by Eric Eggers, who is an author and vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute. Now, wait a minute, Eric. Every week we do this, I introduce you as an author. You're also a film producer. Uh, you're also a bit of an entrepreneur. You actually have businesses that you run. Uh, so I'm wondering, do you have any great business ideas lately that I might tap into? My first business idea is now that the IRS has hired 87,000 new agents for you to stop talking about my business <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, my second idea, actually, I do have an excellent idea. Working on this podcast today has given me an, an insanely good idea for my next business, in fact. Oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, so you're going to tell us a little bit about that? Or is there a product or service that you're planning to sell. I have absolutely no idea about <laughs> any product or service, but I mostly have is a business model. And that is like, whatever it is that I do, I'd like to find a way to make the government make people buy it from me <laughs> or get the government to buy it from me and make people take it and then find a way to insulate me from liability as a result ah, of that choice. Nice. Okay. So you're going to take a uh, example of big pharma and create a product similar to that. This works for Big Pharma, right? The uh, you know, it's funny. I remember one time we were telling somebody about the Clintons that we've done Clinton Cash. We talked about the business model between donations, Clinton Foundation, and people yep. getting favors from Hillary Clinton's State Department. And the person who's a Democrat said, "Well, you've got to give it to them. It's brilliant, right?" <laughs> and I think you have to say the same thing about Big Pharma today. What they're doing is, in fact, brilliant. It's wildly insidious and potentially personally destructive, but on the merits of it, it's quite smart. It is. It's it's remarkable, and it shows the kind of cronyism and corruption that I think we ought to be incensed about. Uh, the reason we're talking about this, of course, is the Centers for Disease Control Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is recommending, apparently unanimously, uh, that the COVID-19 vaccine uh, be a childhood vaccine. Uh, that would, of course, require uh, schools uh, to mandate it, uh, that people compel their children to take it. But it would also give them liability protections from big pharma. That's a part of what the mandate would provide. Um, and so they would be Im immune from any charges or any problems related to injuries that the uh, vaccines have caused in children and adults. Now, before we get into the meat of this, it is worth going back and looking at the evolutionary change in what the vaccine was promised uh, it was supposed to be right. What what were in, we initially told, Eric, about the vaccine? That I think it would save lives and keep us from being sick ourselves and keep us from getting other people sick. Yeah, absolutely. And and they were very explicit and clear about this. In fact, we've got a video montage here. Uh, these are people who are explaining in the early days of the vaccine why you absolutely have to take the vaccine. Listen to the promises uh, that they're offering as it results uh, in, in taking this. We're making sure healthcare workers are vaccinated because if you seek care, 
at a healthcare facility, you should have the certainty that the people providing that care are protected from COVID and cannot spread it to you. The various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Vaccines prevent getting infected, prevent getting sick, prevent your hospitalization. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus, the virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It stops. It stops. Exactly. That's uh, uh, Dr. Maddow and Dr. Biden, not Jill Biden, but Dr. Joe Biden, expounding on what the promise was of the vaccine, right? You take this, it's going to protect you, and it's going to prevent you completely from sharing it with other people. That was the initial promise. Has, has it panned out that way? So this is weird for me because I feel like we're entering the territory that like has been occupied by people <laughs> that are like jarring their own food and have way too many cats. Like uh, we, we should be very clear about something. I mean, I yeah. respect people that have a variety of opinions Absolutely. on the vaccine, Yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so this is not like the vaccine has put a microchip in you that Bill Gates will track right. or anything like that. But what it is, is that I think to your point, and it's valid, the promises made as they sold people the idea of why vaccines not only were good, but why it was okay for the government to make you take the vaccine. Exactly. We have proven to be false. That's right. It was it was the notion of the compulsion. And I had discussions with friends who were, you know, very concerned about COVID as I was. Uh, and and they explicitly said that I would be selfish if I didn't take the vaccine, because the vaccine would prevent me, prevent me from sharing the virus with someone else or occupying a hospital bed. Now, what we know, of course, is that these initial promises uh, of the COVID vaccine are not true. Uh, in fact, Joe Biden, who's had the vaccine, who's had boosters, got it. Rachel Walensky, the, the head of the CDC, got a booster a couple weeks ago. She has the COVID vaccine. So the bottom line is it has not lived up to its promises. Again, people can make their choice whether they want to take it. It has not lived up to its promise, which leads to this sort of puzzling question of why the CDC mm. is recommending that children children be required to get the vaccine in order to attend school. Yes. Suggestion of compulsion. It's a great dating strategy, but it's terrible <laughs> public policy. And with, with Devin, Did you employ that strategy? No comment. So, the, <laughs> but the point is, and this is like, I think the very insidious thing, because we have previously done a podcast that talks about the fact of, you know, last year we said, man, this is going to be big business for big pharma. Right. And obviously that's proven to be true. You know, at the time when the, the COVID vaccines came out, um, it was estimated that Pfizer would have between 15 and $30 billion profit off of their vaccine, which is a one experience of 1.8% jump in the share. You know, Moderna had only been around for 12 years. They'd never made a profit. Right. And then after the vaccine came out, then they're making between 18 and 20 billion and then this is crazy. I forgot this. On the day that Pfizer announced their vaccine was more than 90% effective in protecting people, their CEO sold $5.6 million of his <laughs> shares. I'm cashing out. I mean, I'm which, cashing out. which actually proved to be not smart because yeah. now Pfizer is a behemoth. 
Yeah. $100 billion company. Like pharmaceutical companies don't get this big. Yeah. And big and Pfizer has. And the quote is, the level of revenue is unheard of in the pharma industry because not only the vaccine, but now the boosters. And so, so the point is, we have previously discussed how profitable the, f- the vaccines have been for these companies in part because of the mandates. Right. But this is the really, to me, insidious part is that because of the CDC's recommendation for adding it to as a mandate for kids, it's not only another guaranteed revenue source, and this is a big deal, it's now liability protection. Right, right. And the reason is, by the way, that if the government mandates you consume a product, the company is saying, okay, wait a minute, you're going to force all these people to use it. We're not forcing them to use it. So we need liability protection. They got that early on, right? And that is set to expire. The liability is set to expire in January of 2023. So this recommendation, assuming it would be acted on by the CDC, would extend that immunity beyond when it is set to expire. That's a huge boon to a pharmaceutical industry that's produced a product that, you know, let's face it, there have been some instances and cases where people have had uh, reactions to uh, the vaccine that have not been positive that could lead to a liability issue for these companies. Now, the good news is, I mean, there's several good pieces of good news, but then I think it raises some just very interesting questions. And I think we've got some good data to help kind of prompt the discussion. But the good news is that in states like Florida, um, it doesn't matter what the CDC does, that they will not be able to make you right. make your kid take this vaccine. It's a state It's a state issue. So the states will decide. In Florida, you're going to be able to choose California. I don't know. California, yeah. you're probably going to have to have it done. So there are 11 states in which they've said, you know, no, we're not going to do this. Now, California, unsurprisingly, is not one of them. <laughs> right. But what it does do is it opens the door for states to then require it should they choose to do so. And what's crazy, and we were talking about this earlier, I mean, it's not new for people to make life altering decisions based on policy that deviates from states to states, right? Mm-hmm. My parents bought retirement property in Georgia as opposed to North Carolina because they have a lower tax rate. Like that happens. Yeah. But it's crazy now to think about just how different the lived experience will be from state to state based on public policy. We've talked before about California has said, we're only going to sell electric vehicles starting in 2035, no more gas powered vehicles. Right. Uh, vaccine mandates will now be a thing. I mean, we saw under COVID how dramatically different the freedoms you experienced were. So people will now literally be voting with their feet. Yeah, they will. They will. And this is a hugely important issue. And I think a sensitive issue because you're talking about your kids and you're talking about a healthcare decision that you're being forced to make uh, based on a vaccine that is relatively new, right? I mean, it did not go through. It did not go through a lot of the rigorous testing uh, that other vaccines have done. And part of it was this urgency, right? We're in a crisis. Uh, and this is one of the things you see all the time with government agencies, whether it's in the healthcare sphere, whether it's in the economic sphere, like the 2008 financial crisis, or you think on the war on terrorism in the early 2000s. It's that fear, the fact that we need to move now. We don't want to have a discussion. We don't want to have a debate. You're not right to raise questions because we're in a crisis. So we have to demand this and move forward. And that's a lot of what happened when it came to the vaccines. Uh, They squelched debate and discussions by people that were very legitimate medical professionals. Uh, Professor uh, Marty Markery at at Johns Hopkins uh, has raised questions about how effective the vaccine and the boosters are. 
uh, these people get attacked and criticized again, because we have a crisis, we have to act on it. We need to move now. How dare you raise questions in debates? And so people feel like not only is this being imposed on them, but they don't even have a chance to discuss it because you're, you're, you're told that you are a terrible person. You're a denier. If you act in this way, in their defense, you are a terrible person. So <laughs> no, but I think the, um, the CDC, you know, you mentioned that it passed unanimously, right? Right. I mean, imagine that. I mean, I think that's the perfect example. If you, even if you were, well, first off, you probably don't get appointed to like the CDC commission that makes these decisions. If you're right. like anti-vaccine mandate, right. But then even if you are one of those people that raised some concerns about this, uh, how comfortable do you think they would have felt in speaking out about that? Right. Because, oh, you must hate children. You're clearly pro. And the thing is, we've now been through this enough. I mean, they said the same thing when, well, we're going to open schools. Oh, you want to open schools? You want to let kids be in school? Oh, you hate teachers? Right. Oh, you you want everyone to die? Right. Exactly. And now we see the results of that, right? These these horrible test scores that have come out. So it's a problem whenever you see government push urgency. You see this in the whole climate debate. Yeah. You're not allowed to have a discussion and a debate about the merits of how bad is the problem? Does it exist? Is it man-made? No. You're, you're a climate denier. In this case, when it comes to vaccine, you hate kids, uh, you want to kill them, uh, and you want to kill teachers if you have a different point of view or a more cautious approach to these kinds of mandates. And what the idea that um, the, the vaccines being added to this list, which yeah. will allow states to mandate it for schools and for kids because of a 1986 law, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, which essentially says, yeah, in order to be protected from liability, you have to then be routinely recommended for administration. And that's what the CDC's ruling would do. So it's really interesting to think of it in that context. And so if the vaccine's being protected from liability, it made me think, well, what's the last big mainstream product that essentially was sued to oblivion, right? Sued out of mainstream commercial use. Mm -hmm. And because it was proven to be, you know, quite not okay, and it's tobacco. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think of big pharma being insulated from being treated like big tobacco. And on the face of it, it's like, okay, that's ridiculous. Obviously a cigarette, something people choose to pursue recreationally, but remember, and again, but this is true. When cigarettes first came out, they were advertised as being good for your health. (laughs) Stress relief. (laughs) calm you down. I I remember seeing an old ad where um, it was supposedly cigarettes were going to help you with respiratory issues. Uh, so you're quite right. And again, the problem is, was when it relates to this vaccine, it was not tested that long. Uh, I am not a fan or friend of trial lawyers. Uh, I think that they are a destructive force in a lot of respects, but I will say this, they play an important role in checking uh, these large companies. Uh, and it should to say that people should not be allowed to sue f- pharmaceutical companies when they're forced to take uh, this vaccine is is patently absurd. So the question, I guess, is how did we get to this point? How did we get to the point where the CDC has so embraced uh, the vaccines? Um, and to my mind, there's two factors here. Okay. I want to get I want to state these and you can give me your reactions. The first one is follow the money, right? Absolutely. Big pharma. uh, They are the biggest lobbyists on Capitol Hill. They've got a lot of friends. If you look at the makeup of this advisory board, as I have, 
the overwhelming majority of members are uh, academics at universities and at research laboratories. Uh, many of them, of course, receive a lot of funding from pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the CDC does a lot of partnerships with pharmaceutical companies. And of course, there's a revolving door. If you work at CDC for 20 years and you decide, you know what, I want to earn more money. I want to travel. I want to see the world. Uh, you can go work for pharma. You're going to do that if you have pursued interests that are beneficial to them. So to me, the first big part of this is money. Pharma's throwing their weight around. That's why this is happening. The second thing, though, is you've got certain people that have been critical of the pharmaceutical industry, guys like Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. who are in favor of these kinds of vaccines. And the question is why? And my theory is the vaccine issue has become political. And there are a lot of people who embraced vaccines early on, even though all the research now shows that, okay, it's not going to prevent you from getting COVID. It's not going to prevent you from sharing it with other people. Uh, those claims are false. Rather than acknowledge that and admit that they were too enthusiastic in supporting mandates in the past, they're doubling down. So it's become political. Those seem to me to be the main motivations behind this. What, what do you think? No, I think you're exactly right. Um, it, because I think that's the only way to explain how the United States, and you made a really good point also about the nature of the drug companies being American companies, right? right, right. And so like, so they are American political forces right. and not just political forces, but narrative shaping forces. This is one of the things that my, one of my big images from May of 2020, we're visiting families, older people. So they're watching like the nightly news, which is not something that I regularly <laughs> do. And it was just like this big fear porn oh, campaign. Absolutely. Like you had the reporter with his mask on, like off of his chin, like, right. don't worry, I still have my mask, but I'm taking right. it off to give you the very terrible news of this right. pandemic that's raging through the country. Right. And then they go to commercial break and what's being advertised is the drug companies. Right. And so you have to remember pharmacy, big pharma has spent 6.6 billion uh, on TV ads recently, right? They're in the top, they're the fourth largest spender mm. in TV advertisements. Um, in the first six months of 2020, by the way, their digital advertisement for Pfizer was up 532%. And these other companies, so like they went all in on advertising. And so even Amazing. if you're the if you're the media that wants to push back against some of the stuff and be critical or skeptical of what the CDC says, but your biggest advertisers are right. the people that are benefiting from this policy. Yep, is that going to happen? Yeah, probably not. So the yeah, so the money is massive, and the fact that they're American companies, so they're more likely to then participate. And by the way, I think private companies, and you said this are more able to influence public policy in the United States in terms of campaign donations, cronies, and things of that nature. But the reality is, in Denmark, the government's actually made it impossible for the general population if you're under 18 to receive a vaccination for COVID unless you have a doctor's note. Like, the doctor has to prescribe it. Yeah, specifically say you need to get that. Right. And then presumably that's because you're at high risk. You know, maybe you have a, a, a you know, a particular a respiratory or, or you're obese and or, the doctor says you need to get this. Or in Denmark, they could be doing it to get you off a of heroin. They do all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff in Denmark, right? <laughs> right. They just pass the needles around. It's not just the Danes, it's the Swedes, right? <laughs> the Swedes are doing the same thing. They don't want or don't believe it's a good idea for younger people to have uh, the vaccine. Uh, because they don't think it's necessary and there have been side effects that at, have affected some people. As of November 1st, the Swedish government no longer recommends it for people under the age of 17. As of September 1st, 
England no longer recommends it and they've limited access to it for kids. They're 12 years and under. And that, by the way, that's in line with the Surgeon General of the state of Florida, who like has legitimate academic credentials. Yeah, Harvard Medical School. Harvard Medical School. But to hear the media talk about it, he's <laughs> over there just like letting his kid hang on the yeah. top of a car while yeah. he's driving down the interstate. Yeah, it's- I love that. I love the digital reporters on Twitter who have at best a BA in journalism going after the Surgeon General of the Florida saying that he's being reckless and out of control when he is clearly a medical professional who's been proven correct over and over and over again. And that goes back to my point about there's no debate about these issues. So how do they get a consensus in Denmark, Sweden, and the UK? And I think part of it is the money, as we talked about, the the revenue and the mechanism of influence that you have with Pfizer and and, and these other companies. Also, by the way, the, the, the companies that are being paid to do this, you know, CVS and Walgreens, you can go and get it for free. They're being paid by the government to do this. So they have an incentive. It brings more foot traffic into their business. Those conditions don't exist to the same extent in Europe. So there's the financial aspect. But to me, I got to go back to the doubling down. I mean, the Swedes and the Danes and the Brits are basically saying, you know what? We've looked at the evidence, we've reevaluated our position, and we now believe that it's not necessary for kids to have a vaccine. In the United States, it's no way. You know, we've gotta we've gotta get at those deniers and make sure that kids are getting these vaccines, even though the evidence shows otherwise. And it's not new, by the way, for Big Pharma to have this close relationship with the government. Remember, under the Obama administration, I believe it was the the ambassador to England was yeah, actually the, Sussman. Sussman was the father of this lady that worked for Pfizer. Vice president of uh, Pfizer. Yeah, big bundler for Obama. So like, you know, you don't get appointed ambassador to England for nothing. <laughs> like that's a pretty good gig. Yes, it's a very, very good gig. <laughs> Which by the way, fun fact, I actually knew a guy that was ambassador to Portugal. Really? He says, yeah, because and he was also a bundler for Obama early, right. early on. Right. He's, it's like expensive. You, oh yeah, yeah. Like you have to go out of pocket a lot because you have to do the entertaining. Yeah, that's right. So you're you're not looking to be ambassador anywhere unless this new until business my new idea business idea comes in. Exactly. That's what that's really what it's about. I'm trying to be ambassador Eggers. Yeah. Well, we we love to hear from our audience. Um, you know, please reach out to us about the podcast. You can also recommend uh, to Eric what this new service and product <laughs> should be that we can mandate that the federal government uh, compel that people consume. Uh, but this is an important topic. We're going to stick with it. Remember, big government and big business are not enemies. They are partners. But I just think the idea, when you hear this discussion about mandating the vaccines for kids or adding it to the list in which states are allowed to do that, just remember, I mean, and if you're a parent, you can make your own choice about whether or not you get your kids vaccinated, anything else. But I have not heard, and I have to give our intern, Stephen Richards, a, a ton of credit. He's not an intern. He's a full-time employee, but uh, who's a producer on this podcast as well. But, it was, but he's the one to point out, no, it's not just about the money. It's also liability protection, which in some ways is even more valuable in the amount of revenue they've earned. Exactly. Especially when you're talking about a vaccine that did not go through seven years of trials. Very, very important. The money and the liability protection. Please do give Eric his business ideas because <laughs> uh, he's going to need them. He wants that liability protection. After I called Schweitzer, a terrible person on the podcast, it's over <laughs> for me. <laughs> Well, we thank you as always for listening. Uh, please reach out with your comments. You can find our podcasts and other research material at thedrilldown.com. Thanks so much for listening.